Welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is episode number 404, and today we're talking all about archery. So Steve and myself have both separately been very, very deep into archery. And in some ways, we actually met through archery more than a decade ago. Steve used to own a bow shop and tune a bunch of bows. I was self-taught and did my own bow tuning and work and set up and shot a ton of bows and love, love, love archery and bow hunting. But we haven't stayed as up to date in the last handful of years on all the new gear, new equipment, new techniques, etc. And so it's been something on our radar to talk with someone who's more current, more informed, who has stayed more up to date on all of those things. And that's what we're doing today with Kellen Morgan. Kellen has a YouTube channel called Inside Out Precision with some great helpful archery content there. And he's also a hunter, a shooter, and a professional bow tech. So he gets to handle all kinds of bows and work with customers, and is just very knowledgeable and up-to-date on all things archery. And we just wanted to talk with him to kind of get a feel for where things are at currently with the world of archery and bow hunting from a kind of technical and gear-related perspective. So this is a wide-ranging conversation. I hope you enjoy it. There's so much in here on bows and accessories, shooting technique, releases, and just a whole lot more. So again, very wide-ranging, kind of something to pull for everyone, whether you're a new bow hunter or a more experienced bow hunter who maybe, like myself and like Steve, isn't necessarily up to date on all the latest and greatest. Before we dive into that, just want to remind you guys that here in the month of June 2023, we are doing a giveaway with our friends from Sig Sauer. They're giving away a pair of Zulu 6 image stabilizing binoculars, and all you need to do to enter is go to exomontgear.com forward slash podcast and look for that entry form. It'll take you just a minute to do that. Hit pause and do that right now, then come back. Here's this conversation with Kellen Morgan. Kellen, welcome to the podcast, man. I'm excited to have you join us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I've uh, been following you guys for a long time and very familiar with all your your gear and what you're doing in the in the industry. So, uh, oh, cool. honored to be up here. Yeah, I was telling you that I uh, I didn't know you by name in terms of oh Kellen, uh, but when I started reaching out to some guys like, hey, who's up to date on archery and doing cool stuff and all that, like your name popped up, and then I realized. Oh, I've seen some of your videos and stuff like that. But uh, before we dive into a lot, all of that, what would be an introduction for listeners who, you know, just to provide some context for who you are? Yeah. Um, so my name is Kellen Morgan. Um, I, I guess most people would, you know, say they they quote know me from um, my YouTube channel. Uh, it's not a big hunting channel or anything like that. It's called Inside Out Precision, and really. You know, I started it just to get information about whether it's, you know, gear, shooting form, um, tech tips, all all that sort of stuff, but have it be very unbiased. Um, you know, I kind of noticed there was a there was a spot in the market that was kind of being missed um, for unbiased information. Whereas I understand a lot of these guys with channels have sponsors. They need to, you know, their sponsors hold their feet to the fire in terms of what they can promote and what they can't. Um, I just wanted to be able to make a channel that was like, hey, 
you know, if you want, if this bow, here's what this bow can do. I'm not saying it's good, bad, or indifferent, but you know, here are the specs, here's the technical aspects of it, you know, go shoot it and see if it's for you. Um, and then, so that's been going on for the last four years now. Um, prior to that, you know, I've, I've been in archery since I was 12 and I'm 35 now. Um, I was kind of mentored by Wayne Endicott at the bow rack among a lot of other guys, um, there that I met at, you know, the shooting leagues and stuff like that. Um, but in back in 2015, I actually started working for Wayne at the bow rack full time. Uh, and that, that really, really helped give me a platform. A, <laughs> I learned a ton of knowledge about bows and arrows I and mean, Wayne is an absolute guru with that sort of stuff. Um, but on top of that, it, it just gave me a really access to a lot of good equipment, um, you know, knowledgeable people and so on and so forth. And so, um, yeah, had, you know, that's been probably, well, not probably the best job, favorite job, you know, I've had up and until this recent move. Um, and you know, those guys are like family to me and, uh, yeah, I just feel really fortunate to have been, you know, blessed with great mentors and, and, um, uh, a path forward that I think is, is, you know, the right way. So, um, yeah. Is your YouTube channel entirely devoted to archery? It is. Yep. Um, sometimes on my Instagram, I do a lot of waterfowl hunting and sometimes I get a little carried away posting pictures of bird piles, but, um, <laughs> generally, <laughs> generally it is archery hunting or archery gotcha. just in general. Yeah. Is your, like, what got you hooked on archery? Was it the competition side? Was it hunting? Was it a mix of both? Initially it was the hunting. Um, I, so I started deer hunting with my dad and some of his friends when I was, well, I think I shot my first buck when I was 10. Uh, and so when I was 10 and 11, both those years, um, you know, my dad would take me out of school for a week. We'd head over East. I'd shoot a buck opening morning and then I'd have to go back to school. <laughs> and I was like, let's, let's make this a little more difficult. I want that full week off. Um, <laughs> also just grown up watching, like, I mean, I always watched like TNN outdoors and all this stuff. And I just bow hunting looked so cool, but I, I had no idea that it was even like an option for kids. Cause you just, a, there wasn't very much equipment back then that would fit a 12 year old kid. Um, and B just never really saw it on, you know, on, on TV. Uh, and then there was actually, so in eighth grade, so, or yeah, eighth grade, um, the first day of school, everybody would bring in, they call it a brown bag speech. And it was kind of like a, uh, like a older kid show and tell basically. So you brought in things that, you know, represented you and your family and whatever. And, uh, this kid had like the, oh, like the fletched end of an arrow, um, and was talking about how he and his dad, bow hunt together and i was like what like i didn't know kids could bow hunt um so i you know went to the bow rack for the first time met wayne there um ended up getting a hoyt mt sport for christmas that year and just kind of got obsessed with it you know my, my goal is i wanted to shoot a turkey first um, so i wanted to get good enough to shoot a turkey in the head uh, and i pretty much just ended up spending i mean from from eighth grade till like my junior senior year of high school i spent almost every day after school at the bow rack just shooting and you know practicing and then it went down you know my freshman years when i really started getting into the competitive side of things and that kind of took over my life for a lot of years um but yeah i just it was one of those sports where it just made sense to me i was always competitive but you know growing up i was always kind of the uncoordinated like i grew faster than my my coordination would allow to keep up with. <laughs> 
So, you know, when it came to organized team sports, I was always a bench bench warmer. Um, but with archery, it kind of gave me an avenue to be really competitive, um, not only with myself, but then in a, you know, in a tournament setting. Um, and so for me, it was just kind of the perfect, perfect outlet. Yeah. That's cool, man. I, uh, you know, my background with archery is, was very, um, self-taught right and i just started and i didn't know anybody who shot a bow or bow hunted personally and you know i started with a cabela's kit bow and just figured stuff out over time and upgraded and got a press and like wanted to like take the deep dive and it was all self-taught so i'm sure i had a lot of like gaps and misconceptions but man Mm -hmm. i just went off the deep end and there's there is something just so cool about as simple as a bow and arrow can be it can obviously as people know it can be incredibly complex like you can make it as complicated as you want right um and i just for a handful of years absolutely loved learning everything that i could about it um and it's so fun to geek out on for sure and then i would say i've done the kind of the same thing with rifles over the last five plus years where it's like i'd always shot a rifle but i wasn't like all the ins and outs and reloading and all the geekery and the whole rabbit hole. And I've done that. And it's funny now that I've done that with rifles, it makes me look back at that same process I had with bow and arrow. And I look at it differently because, you know, just perspective. Right. Um, And for, I think, you know, you can speak to it too, Steve, but like for both of us, it was like, we've nerded out and then, but the last handful of years, we've also not stayed fully up to date. And part of what we wanted to do is just talk with you like about some of the things you're seeing, whether it's trends, cool new gear, what matters, what doesn't. So yeah. uh, this is going to be definitely a, a very wide ranging conversation. But for you, Steve, where, where do you like what comes to mind immediately? Yeah, I mean, I, well, just the same backstory as you, right? Like I just uh, 18 was on when I heavily got into basically bought my first bow and then just dove headfirst into archery for quite a few years. I mean, the reason we're doing this podcast is because I started working on bows for people out of my garage and that turned into building SNS archery and then turned into Exo Mountain Gear. And um, so I was just full on archery forever and ever and ever. And about, uh, I don't know, yeah, at some point I just felt like I got tapped out on like what I could learn. I don't know, you know, just kind of like, okay, I'm probably, there's, there's a, there is a whole nother level you could get to right um as far as your shooting abilities but then rifles kicked over and that was five years ago and since then i haven't kept up other than just to kind of check in on things and i just don't see i i'm not seeing like equipment anything significantly changed i think i what what i was shooting in 2010 i could easily grab and be as competitive uh as proficient as anything I could buy off the shelf now. And I think that's where I'm curious if there's new techniques for tuning. Um, I'm not seeing any new equipment. Like, I mean, I don't think a bows have, you know, they're continually getting a little bit more efficient, but you could also hand somebody a 2010 bow and, you know, that's going to shoot fantastic. So, uh, yeah, yeah, from, I'm curious, Kellen, from your perspective, what, you know, I guess how, um, What's your timeline here? How long ago were you working for the bow rack and just getting into all this stuff? Yeah. So in terms of, you know, officially working on bows, like as a tech, um, you know, so 2015 is when I started, uh, but I okay. would, I would have to agree with you on the, the equipment side of things, especially in, in the bow, 
um, areas specifically. The, you know, if you look and really, especially in the last like five or six years, I mean, if you look at like a Matthews, you know, Halon 32, which was new in I think 2015 or 16, that bow and the, the phase four 33 that just came out, I mean, very, very similar bows. I don't think, you know, yeah. if you weren't accurate with the Halon, you're not going to be accurate with, with the phase four. Um, I think the industry as a whole has kind of plateaued in terms of how fast and efficient we can make a bow with the technology we have available to us. Um, mm -hmm. Somebody's going to crack the code on, you know, how to get a bow to shoot a legitimate 330 feet a second with a hunting arrow at 29 inches and 70 pounds. Um, but nobody's done it yet. So yeah. what you're seeing a lot of is it's little fit and finish things. Um, you know, obviously you're seeing the trend right now with like Hoyt and Matthews and PAC and all these companies are going to kind of the integrated system. So mm -hmm. whether it be a Katini site or, you know, uh, the dovetail that mounts through the riser on Matthews, like the bridge lock, um, the, the rests that sit directly behind the riser, which allows you to suck your quiver up closer to the bow. It's things that, that make shooting more, a little more comfortable, I think. Um, but in terms of the, the guts of the bow, you know, cam systems have not changed a lot in the last 10 years. Um, obviously there are, there are little things that the companies do like Matthew's going to the switch weight cam. That's pretty cool. Being able to make your bow at 60 to 75 pound peak weight. Uh, it's nice from a technician standpoint, because if I have, you know, a gal or a teenager that comes in and you know, they're, they're an adult or they're adult if it's a teenager, but they're, you know, six feet tall and, and have a long draw length. Um, but they can't pull 55 pounds yet. You know, we can put the 60 pound mods and back that bow down to like 30 or 35 pounds and let them, let them have high end equipment that they can grow with versus buying, you know, a four or $500 setup. Uh, and then a year later having to get rid of that and, you know, jump into a band setup. I'm not, not aware of that. They did that. That's cool. What, so that's just changing uh yeah basically the size of the cam so is it's you're just yeah it's, it's it's crazy how they do it it's in the module so um so draw like matthews you know they have every draw length is a different bolt-on module so the base cam stays the same but you change the module uh -huh. and it, the shape of that module the way it pushes on the cables will actually change the peak weight so you can have it's the same cam um and then that you know so let's say it's a 29 and a half inch module uh, that would be, you can get that module on a 75, a 70, a 65, or 65, 60 pound peak weight, and then back the boat down from there. Um, whereas pretty much every other company, as you probably are well aware, you know, the, the limb is what determines your peak weight. So if you want a 75 pound bow, generally you got to get an 80 pound bow and back it down to 75. Like from an engineering standpoint, what's happening is the limb deflecting less, or does the axle to axle actually just grow with the the mod on the new mod on there yeah it's the way that the, the module presses on the limbs with that which then you know increases the amount of pressure being put on the limb the way that i've played it, which then in obviously increases or decreases your your yeah the deflection in the peak weight so yeah hmm. that's crazy cool. yeah um in terms of accessories i think have come a long way just in terms of the quality of the stuff being used i mean i remember you know with releases back in the day at least with the handheld releases that we'd shoot for target. I mean, you'd get about 10,000 shots out of like, Oh, I had you know an old Carter back in the day. And then the little hook and sear in there, you know, it was stainless steel, but it wasn't a hardened stainless. And over time, um, you know, it would get so sloppy to the point where there's just so much travel. It was kind of anybody's guess as to when it was actually going to fire, which depending on who you talk to, maybe a good or a bad thing. Um, <laughs> but 
you know, I think you're right that if you were, like you said, you could pull a bow off the shelf from 2010 or 12, um, especially in like the target side of things. I mean, there just hasn't been that much change, yeah. uh, but every year, a little bit like in any industry, you know, a little change, eventually, eventually somebody's going to crack the code. Um, and there's going to be kind of that next jump or that next revolution or evolution in, in the sport. So hmm. yeah, it's kind of like iPhones, you know, there's not that big a difference between a six and a 12, <laughs> but right. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those well, got quieter cameras get better. That's about it. in terms of marketing that is that is something a lot of marketing i mean bows are it's insane how quiet and smooth they are now in my opinion this might be an unpopular opinion that's probably the last thing that's going to make you more accurate um for a hunting Mm -hmm. scenario i understand you want quiet um there's still not a bow that makes zero noise right so if, if you draw back and that buck or bull sees you draw and they're aware something's there they're still gonna hear a quiet bow just like they'd hear a loud bow um so like i said there's nothing that's not going to make zero noise yet um and then the the smooth aspect i think it's nice especially for newer shooters a really violent shot kind of promotes target panic because it's it's almost like the recoil on a rifle where they're expecting Mm -hmm. this big you know extravagant just bam when the gun or when the bow goes off so having kind of smoother quieter shot i think makes it a little easier for especially newer shooters to kind of learn how to you know, execute a shot properly and not worry about this, this violent reaction when the, when the trigger releases. Um, but in terms of like inherent accuracy, I mean, target bows are neither smooth nor quiet and you, they're incredibly accurate. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that are, are kind of market driven, um, or marketing driven, um, that at the end of the day, in my opinion, don't really equate to more accuracy. Uh, but that's what the public likes to hear. So, <laughs> yeah, I think that's what's driven me nuts about the archery industry is especially the, you know, you just look right at the bow companies every year they are expected. And I, I think it's their own. They shot themselves in the foot, but they're expected to come out with the latest and greatest bow. Yeah. And it's just, it's just constant, you know, every, you know, by what October, November Hoyt and Matthews are releasing their new bow for the next year already. And, you yeah. just bought your brand new bow that you just got it in July and just started shooting for hunting yeah. season. And now you're being told that your bows, you know, insufficient. And here's the new latest, greatest when in the reality that, I mean, certainly bow companies are, you know, because they're pushing so hard, they're doing, there's sometimes a new bow is not, it's, it's worse than the old one. It, it might have oh, tuning yeah. issues or, you know, yep. construction issues. It might be you know, more vibration. Uh, yeah. Certainly they, they kind of go back and forth. And like you said, over, over 10 years, 15 years, sure, you, you know, little increments, but it's not a guarantee that just because it's new is it's better. And that, dri- that just drives me nuts, right? Like, um, yeah. the, it's just marketing BS. It is. If you're going to spend the time and the money to roll out a new bow, it's like, make it, make it substantially different and better. Yeah. Um, right. I will say, I think it's this year, probably more than any, I can remember. I think all the big companies. So you know, like at the shop, you know, we sell like Bowtech, uh, PSE, Matthews, Hoyt. Um, we used to have Prime in there, you know, the bow rack, they, they sold Prime. Um, all those companies this year, I think, are are probably building the, the best bow they have in a long time, whereas hmm. a lot of years are pretty clear, you know, outliers in that, that, that really are ahead of everybody else. And this year, it's like we're setting up a ton of bows right now for guys. And I tell them, you know, you there's really nothing inherently better this year from from one brand to the other they're all incredibly good quality they tune well 
you know, they're smooth, they're quiet, you know, check all the boxes. It's just going to be, which one is more comfortable to you. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of, it's like when you're trying on boots, uh, you know, if you got a Kenetrack, a Crispy and a Hanwag all right there, they're all great boots, but one might give you blisters and one is going to be comfortable. No knock on the quality of the boot that gives you blisters. It's just for you. It may not be right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but I, I agree with you with the, <laughs> the new thing. I mean, you look at like Hoyt and Matthews this year and this is no shade on them because I, I shoot a Matthews. Um, but when they said, when they were like kind of hyping us up for the new bow, they said, Oh, we're revolutionizing the industry. Nobody's going to be able to figure out how we did it. And I thought that they had cracked the code. Like I was talking about earlier, you know, finally developed a cam system that would shoot a legitimately, you know, 320, 330 feet a second with just average, you know, specs. Uh, and then they're like, we put rubber between the limbs. <laughs> what? <laughs> Not revolution. Pretty sure limbs have been doing that since 97. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, you got to do something. Yeah, it was such a successful platform last year that they just kind of, you know, improved it a little bit um, yeah. in terms of noise and vibration. But that's also, you know, the, the improvements they made are a very, say, small percentage of an already very small number. So how tangible that is to the shooter or not is that's, you know, up to the individual to decide. But mm. um, again, no shade on Matthews. I don't want to get in trouble for saying that. <laughs> I, uh, no, but it's the reality. I mean, it's, it's what's happening, right? Like they're, you're just, yeah. Is there any boat companies not coming out with a new flagship bow every year? Who? I, think, I mean, I, I know Hoyt's kind of had a, had a couple years of like maybe COVID stuff where they like an RX seven or five was for two years yeah 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 um with the carbon bows i think it it was a production side of things um they yeah. got so behind when they launched the rx7 originally i mean i was still at the bow rack at that time and you know, we had guys that would put them on order before we even got them in the shop like Hoyt would announce them they would call them and say hey i want the first you know buckskin color one that comes in and they'd get it you know five months later um yeah and I know that was a supply chain issue. You know, they didn't have enough workers, all that. I mean, Hoyt was, you know, they had help wanted ads out for months trying to get people in there building bows. Um, it It is, I think, the best carbon bow that they have ever produced. So I'm not really sure where they go from there. It, it is, mm. you know, it's a great, great bow. Um, and I think they just wanted to make sure that, okay, you know, there's probably still people, there's probably still people in November waiting on bows that they ordered in, you know, July. Uh, mm-hmm. so they can make sure all those people get their bows, get a year to shoot them and, you know, get, get what they paid for before the new one comes out. Um, but man, up to my knowledge, I think now that that precedent has been set in terms of like, if you want to, if you want to be in the running for somebody buying a new bow, you got to have the latest and greatest, you know, on the shelf, yeah. you got a 2023 model or 2020, you know, every year you got to be pushing them with that. Um, so yeah, I can't think of any, maybe some real small companies like yeah. the ATA or the oh, like Expedition, but even them, they usually have at least one flagship model every year. So we've talked a bit about bows and, you know, yeah, grab a seven-year-old bow and it's still going to be quote unquote competitive with what's out there now. So talk more, you mentioned like accessories and quality going up. I'm also yeah. curious, like, what do you see? Whether this is from customers walking in or just your impressions of things, like on one sense, a system is only as good as its weakest link, right? So take a guy who has a a brand new flagship bow, super high quality, but then maybe has some like not so high quality accessories, for example. Yeah. 
like maybe that's one example or it's just like where do you feel that at the end of the day for like the hunter who wants to be consistent and accurate and effective would you say focus more on a site or a rest or a release or your arrow setup or something besides just what bow am i shooting does that make sense yeah yeah absolutely um i i kind of live and die on the the hill of a quality rest is pretty much my number one go-to um that's really the lifeblood of the bow i mean that's what's supporting your arrow that's what's guiding your arrow if you have one that's inconsistent or you know fails on you um you're going to be in for a, a rough go of it whether it's just shooting in the backyard or killing a bull or whatever that is um so i always tell people like with anything you know buy the best best equipment that you can afford um there's a lot of really gimmicky stuff out there on the market uh when it, when it comes to rest specifically um what drives me crazy is a guy will walk in and just for example like you use they'll buy the new hoyt rx7 and then they want like they are dead set on me putting a whisker biscuit on it and i'm like dude like would you put ball tire on a ferrari <laughs> like what yeah like, what are we doing here um there is and everybody has a different level of what they define accuracy as i'm i'm sure um but the days of pipe plate accuracy at 20 yards are, are long long gone i mean there's no reason with just a little bit of practice you shouldn't be able to stack you know four out of six arrows in a in a two inch circle at 20 yards um so you know what we push really hard is i i prefer limb driven fall away rest um just there's they're just simpler in the way that they they operate and then within that realm you know hamski I just never see any issues with them. Um, I've been running them. We sold them pretty much exclusively at the bow rack. Uh, at the end of the year, at pretty much every other rest brand that we sold, we'd have a box that needed to go back for warranty work. Uh, I think I had one in six years come back um, that was a hamski, and a guy ran over it with a side-by-side. So, you know, it wasn't even the rest's fault. Um, but I would say if you, if you let's say you had, you know, 300 bucks to, to upgrade something. I think you're much better off spending 250 of that on a really quality rest than the full 300 on, you know, some new site, because at the end of the day, a site is only going to be as accurate as you can aim with it. Right. Um, now there are some features in terms of having the adjustability in the different axes. So, you know, a second and third axis, uh, that, that will really help when you're shooting on angled and side hill, uh, side hill shots. Um, but you know, I can put a fixed, like the most basic spot hog five pin site there is with the basic, you know, black gold, like their rush site or something like that. And for all intents and purposes, you know, I'm going to shoot that. If I'm out at the range shooting 60 yards, I can shoot that just as accurately as I can shoot the latest, you know, single pin slider. Um, the, so I, I really think that the rest is, is a big one. Uh, and then get an arrow that is properly matched to your bow. Um, I see, <laughs> I see it a lot where people see the number, you know, the spine on the arrow and they, it, you would think not knowing anything about it, you'd look at that and think, oh, that's the weight. So like I had a guy one time come in, he had an 80 pound, an 80 pound RX something, or I think it was an RX four um, with like a 30 inch draw length. And he was shooting 500 spine arrows because he thought that they were 500 grain arrows and he heard he needed a heavy arrow for that bow. <laughs> what noodle in that bow exactly it sounded like it was being dry fired every time i mean it was so freaking loud and uh you know so getting an arrow that's that's properly matched to your bow it's not gonna take you from a you know like 
two foot group to a two inch group at 80 yards. But when you get, when you get an arrow that's properly spined for your bow, it absorbs the bad shots a little better. Meaning what might've been, you know, a, a six inch miss is now a three inch miss. So it's not this massive difference. It's the, it's the little, you know, the little bit, whether it's competitive archery, where maybe you catch the line of the, the spot or you're out and in a competitive environment, you know, if that happens, if you're out two or three times when you could have been in, that could be the difference between making the shoot off or the podium and going home empty handed, uh, in hunting, as you're very well aware, you know, you might two inches could be the difference between clipping a lung or hitting the void. Um, so those little differences can, those little differences in impact can make a big difference in the outcome, whether it be target archery or hunting. Um, so I, I do think that again, you know, quality arrows and there's a lot, so many different arrows on the market now, it'll kind of make your head spin. Um, but most, most pro shops will have a pretty good idea of, you know, when you're set up like, okay, here's what you're looking for. If you're going to be elk hunting and they should ask those questions, like, what are you going to be doing? Shooting whitetail or are you going to be shooting, you know, do you live in Alaska or going to Alaska or you're shooting, you know, moose and caribou and, and ever and bear and everything else. Um, Cause that will de like determine my arrow setup a little bit. You know, I went to Hawaii last year and I shot a lighter arrow that I've shot in a long time, just because everybody was telling me how turned on those axis deer are and they are. Um, now that arrow probably wouldn't be my first choice if I was going to Wyoming on an elk hunt, you know, um, it was about 85 grains lighter than what I'd usually shoot. Now there's been a lot of animals killed with a light arrow. There's been a lot of animals killed with a heavy arrow. Um, that's a debate that you can go round and round for days about. Um, but at the end of the day, whether it's light or heavy, if it's not spined properly, it's not going to be as consistent coming out of your bow. Where do you, I've certainly seen this trend of super high FOC, heavy arrows. Where do you land on that? I've pretty much just learned like a lot of things in life. Like I kind of live in the middle there. Um, there <laughs> when you look at the math. Like I understand the heavy arrow in terms of like momentum and all that. Um, the problem is when, and it's different for every setup, obviously, but you start getting into those ridiculously heavy setups you sacrifice so much trajectory, which also equates to forgiveness, um, that if you can't hit what you're aiming at, a heavy arrow does you no good. Like whether your mm -hmm. arrow is heavy or light, if it doesn't hit something vital, that animal is not going to die. Now, I want to believe that I'm going to have the ability to, you know, hit my range finder, judge every, you know, range every animal, set my sight and aim right at his right at, behind the shoulder. That's not always the case. There's so many times where, you know, like it just it happens so fast you got to rely on your instincts and say i think that's 35 and if that animal is actually 42 and you're shooting a 665 grain arrow you're probably just going to blow through his brisket and now you just have a wounded animal you're heavy you know cool you blew right through his his front leg or something like that like you're you know that heavy arrow only benefits you so much um a really really light arrow on the opposite spectrum there it's like yeah you could center punch a rib and get very poor penetration with it so you know for your average guy i'm usually looking at arrows at least for out west here if a guy wants to elk hunt deer hunt all that you know bear um any arrow in that like 450 to like 525 range seems to be really good um mm. but then again that's on a sliding scale because if a guy's got a 27 inch draw length shooting 60 pounds a 550 grain arrow is really really heavy 
Whereas you got a guy like, you no, know, like Cody from Born and Raised with a 32 inch draw length and 72 pounds, a 550 grain arrow is still going 280 feet a second for him. So, you know, it's all about that balance, in my opinion. Um, mm -hmm. And then, like, that thing is a lot like that, too. It's like there's FOC is a, a good thing up until a certain point. You get too heavy with it. Once your arrow slows down past a certain velocity, it's really hard for the veins to stabilize the front of it. So, I've I've always I mean for my go to arrow was between four fifteen and four forty. Uh, you know, FOC was always like twelve percent good mm -hmm. cut on contact broadhead. And I've all the years I shot, I I mean I passed through like every elk I ever killed. And that's shots yep. out to stupid far distances that I would never even attempt anymore because I don't shoot like I used to. Uh and that just always worked for me. And then to see the the argument of these super heavy arrows flying really slow which like, to me it's like okay like like you just said ideal circumstances yes i range every animal but that's not that's not the reality i range my the elk i come to full draw he takes three steps you know if, if that's a 55 60 yard shot that 600 grain arrow is dropping like a freaking rock at that distance and yeah there, there has to be some speed has to be a variable you have to consider i don't think when I when I see these posts online or something like that, and they they just completely disregard that, and I think it's it's foolish. And like you said, accuracy is is number one. A, a pod, I was listening to a podcast the other day. It was about rifles, but they were he like he he was more concerned about the size and weight of the bullet than he was hitting the target at first. And yeah. like, to me, it was just completely backwards thinking. Like, no, the most important thing is hitting where you're aiming and then let's work backwards from there because if you can't hit where you where the vitals who the hell cares you know unless you're freaking you know shooting a uh freaking you know rocket launcher at something where it's gonna die regardless <laughs> yeah uh, it's yeah. got like you gotta hit where you're aiming at so that's that is number one and then yeah work backwards and then i think what a lot of people don't realize too is how important um at least a decent tune on your bow is because if that arrow is hitting an animal sideways, you know, if that animal's standing 90 degrees, dude, and your arrow is hitting at a 15 or 25 degree angle to that, the transfer, the, there's a huge loss in the transfer of energy. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Wayne used to always make the analogy. He'd say like, you know, you've seen those pictures after a tornado goes through and there's pieces of hay, like stuck through a telephone post. It's because that, that piece of straw was going 300 miles an hour, but hit, going perfectly straight um you know you could put a drinking straw through your hand if it was going fast enough and hit it a perfectly you know straight angle so i think a lot of guys that have issues with they whether they want to blame it on the broadhead or the arrow weight i'll bet you if you put their bow through paper you know they're probably kicking significantly right left high low um and that makes a really really big difference i i used to watch uh that Cody Robbins guy killed all those big mule deer up in like Alberta or wherever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember and, him. Yeah. And it's just so funny. Cause I mean, he's this like renowned hunter and he shoots this little, no offense to him, but he, you know, he shoots this little like diamond bow set up with a whisker biscuit and mechanical broadheads. And I mean, he's shooting these deer at like 15 or 20 yards and getting like four inches of penetration. And then you watch on, you know, it slow mows the shots. And it's, I mean, that arrow is flying damn near sideways when it hits that animal. So it's like, <laughs> well, yeah, course you're not getting any penetration dude like you know the side of the shaft is slapping the shoulder when it goes through like mm. um so i think there's a lot of, of, of broadhead and arrow performance comes down to at least a decent tune on the bow um 
you know, obviously we, we pride ourselves in, in really making sure that it's pretty much as, as good as we can get it in terms of, you know, the arrow or the, the bow sending the arrow straight. And then it's just up to the shooter to put it in the right spot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you'll lose a ton of energy and penetration if that arrow is not hitting somewhat straight. So is there any new tuning methods out there or what's your kind of go to, to, you know, steps to get a guy dialed in? Yeah. You know, there's most of the methods aren't new. Um, there are certainly some that are becoming a lot more popular and more well-known just with, you know, internet and the YouTube and all that. Um, our steps of the shop are always going to be, you know, first and foremost, make sure every, the guy is fitted properly. Right. Um, mm. we'll, work on his grip. A lot of the tuning I do comes down to working with the person as much as the bow, because, you know, if you're just death gripping that bow and turning that handle real hard, there's no amount of tuning I can do. That's going to make that arrow come out straight. Um, so once we get their grip set, you know, their anchor point good, and you know, they're not just punching the release like it owes them money. Um, we always just start with paper. So, you know, I like to ideally like your arrow flight is worse. It's worst at about six yards. Like that's where it's going to be kicking the hardest. So on days where we don't have maybe a ton of people in the shop, you know, I'll back us up four or five yards from the paper and, and tune at that distance. Um, for 99% of the people out there, you know, you get, you get a really a true bullet hole through paper with, uh, with a fletched shaft at that distance, they're going to have great broadhead flight. They're going to have obviously a good field point flight. Um, and everything should be pretty gravy. Uh, the, the bear shaft tuning and stuff, you know, that's something that was really, really popular in target archery for a long time. Um, you'll get different, different opinions on it, but I will tell you that when you, it will show you a lot about your setup, um, in terms of your like arrow spine and all that. Um, even if you can get a bullet hole with a bear shaft at the same distance as your flat shaft, and then you go back to 20 yards and for, let's say for a right-handed shooter, you know, your shaft is, is, impacting or kicking way tail right that shows me that you know we're a little a little stiff on the spine um it's the opposite of that you know we're a little bit weak on the spine um but it's again it's one of those methods where it's not going to take you from a a 10 inch group to a half inch group what it will do is eliminate that one flyer kind of you know like Mm -hmm. some guys and that shot felt better than it was and it's like yeah well maybe you know sometimes if the spine isn't quite right you know no matter how good a shot you're executing, you know, the, the dynamics of the way that arrow is kicking off the rest and flexing during flight and recovering out of the bow will, will affect the point of impact with some, you know, some inconsistencies. Uh, the hard part with bear shaft tuning is that it takes a pretty experienced shooter to get any consistency when you're actually yeah. shooting it through paper. It takes so little difference from shot to shot to influence the way that bear shaft is going to come out of the bow that, you know, when I have guys that come in the shop and they want to do that, you know, I, I make them shoot at least three shots with that bear shaft to make sure we're getting the same hole every time. Because if we're not, then we're just, we're just going to be chasing our tail the whole day. Um, and I also think with guys doing it at home, I get a ton of questions on my YouTube channel about tuning, uh, probably the number one thing. And um, to me, your time for your, for 90 95% of the guys out there, your time is much better spent practicing than knock tuning every single arrow and, you know, spending four hours trying to get a perfect bear shaft tune. It's like, once you flesh that thing, those it's incredible how much veins actually stabilize an arrow. Um, 
you know, you're, I just don't know that many people that are going to see a, a giant difference. Um, I think a lot of people think that pros have this, you know, pro shooters have this like secret tuning method that they're not telling anybody about. And that's what lets them shoot these incredible groups at distance. Their secret is they practice their ass off. <laughs> they shoot 300 arrows a day. That's their secret. Um, you know, Levi Morgan could pick up a little bear cruiser from sportsman's warehouse and outshoot 95% of the people with a, you know, $3,000 setup. Um, so that's kind of my, my take with tuning stuff. It's good. It's all that you just said relates back to what I mentioned of how I look back at my archery journey experience, whatever, uh, like the deep dive I took and how I look at that differently now, partially in terms of my deep dive with firearms because it's the same thing with like guys who obsess with reloading and fine-tuning stuff on that perspective and going like i want to get my group from you know a half a minute down to 0.3 and all that like chasing their tail and all that's involved and it's like dude don't do that like spend that time actually just shooting from a field position or what have you assuming you know we're talking about hunters versus like someone who's shooting bench rest or f class of course but it, I came to realize that in my own journey with reloading and accuracy and precision on the rifle side. And it made me realize, man, I, I wasted a lot of time when I did the same thing with archery of just chasing quote unquote perfection that ultimately yeah. didn't matter. Like flat out didn't matter. Like good enough is good enough and better isn't always better. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, well, I have a guy that's been coming in the shop recently who he's, he's newer to it. And while I appreciate the views, um, I had to tell him, I was like, you need to stop watching my videos right now, man. That's <laughs> like, you're, you're <laughs> crazy. I was like, this is, you know, your level. Like if you want my help right now, like you're better off buying a lesson and spending an hour, you know, with me working on form. Um, at the end of the day, form conquers all. None of that tuning stuff will matter if you cannot be consistent. Uh, so, you know, I mean, you look at some of the scores shot over the years at some of these tournaments and whatnot. Um, even back in, you know, back in like the late 90s, early 2000s, when tuning was a thing, but it was kind of the motto of just like, well, yeah, just, you know, set the arrow level and just shoot it. <laughs> uh, like Paige Pierce talks about that all the time, how on her target setups, you know, it is not a perfect bullet hole. Like we're both with field points. Now it's not a hunting setup, but with field points, like for her, you know, she, she starts with a bullet hole through paper and then she goes out and plays with some bear shaft stuff. And then she starts what she calls group tuning, which is where essentially you're just moving your rest, micro adjusting your rest, you know, a couple clicks left, couple clicks, right. couple clicks up, couple clicks down. And of course that's going to change your point of impact a little bit, but she's just looking at where that bow and that setup groups the best. And very rarely does that end up being a perfect bullet hole. And that drives some people crazy. You know, they're like, well, why are we even doing this? And it's like, yeah, it's, you just need to understand <laughs> the concept of it and why, but um, you know, the broadhead, it's pretty imperative that that arrow is coming out straight or you know, with a fixed blade, those blades are going to catch wind and play in the opposite direction. So that's, that was my go-to, um, like final confirmation i would just grab the nastiest crap broadhead that i could find like an old muzzy or something and just yeah. shoot it 70 yards and see where it's grouping to my field points and yeah. adjust adjust from there and then like you said it was frequent that that going back to paper wasn't a perfect bullet hole anymore but i didn't care yeah. like it's 
if I was getting like pure, nice laser like flight with a, a crap fixed blade broadhead on there, you know, obviously I had to spin true, but just, you know, a lot of surface area, those blades are grabbing a lot of wind. If I can still get good flight with that, then everything else is gravy. Yep, absolutely. What have you seen with releases? Because to me, this is a, I, I don't know, I feel like go back a dozen years and to me, at that point, like I got into handheld releases, both thumb mm-hmm. and hinge. And it was like, man, I don't feel like there's many guys doing this hunting. And then now, anecdotally, again, I'm not feel like I'm staying up to date on all the trends, but definitely way more guys are using handhelds. Is that the case? And do you think that's helpful for hunters or just was your, I know it's all opinion, but. Yeah. So it's absolutely the case that you're seeing it. It's so much more prevalent in the hunting world than it has been in the past. Um, I, I shot, you know, obviously handhelds for target for years. I mean, going back pretty much as far as I can remember. Um, the, I think the reason you're seeing it more now is with that, with the advent of YouTube, you know, you have a lot of these guys who are professional shooters like Levi Morgan, Chris B, you know, a lot of these guys that, that they don't want to go back and forth between releases. They train so much with one, that's what they're comfortable with. Uh, so they hunt with, you know, basically what they, they compete with. And so people see that and, I don't know why, but for a long time, handhelds were considered like, oh, you never want to hunt with those. They're too noisy. You know, they're not, they're not connected to you, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then you see guys being successful with it. And a lot of guys go, oh, I, you know, I want to try that. Um, the thing with a handheld, and this is kind of a progressing scale here, but from like an index to a thumb button, let's say, um, I, in my opinion, yes, it is easier to teach somebody how to kind of pull through the shot or, or at least control the shot until it breaks on its own with a thumb button. The flip side of that is that if you don't do it correctly, it's not as forgiving. Like the, the point Mm -hmm. of impact or your miss on target is generally bigger. And that just comes down to, you know, with an index, even if I punch that trigger, as long as I keep my bow arm in the shot, the only thing moving is that finger. It's just that index finger moving. So it's pretty easy to keep everything else still. Um, during that process with a thumb button what i see a lot of times is that whole hand kind of flinches and comes like up and away from the face or the jaw uh, which then pulls your front arm you know for a right-handed shooter that's going to usually cause like a low left miss um or they just the whole you know their whole front arm back arm everything jumps um so i think learn shot correctly and in terms of learning what a a quote surprise shot feels like which i'm not i don't really like that term because it's not really a surprise like you you know it's coming you control the whole i know i'm shooting my bow (laughs) yeah you just don't decide the exact like moment that that shot fires um but i think it is easier to do the problem is i think in a hunting scenario not every deer is going to stand there or bull is going to stand there let you settle the pin go through your entire shot process and take five or six seconds to get an arrow loose. Um, there are times, especially like on the, you know, the coast range here in Oregon. I mean, it's so thick that sometimes you got a herd moving through, you got to stop a bull between two trees, get a pin on him, and just bury one in him. And, you know, you have very little time to do it. Um, now in that scenario, I think an index is going to be a lot more forgiving. Um, because like I said, if, if you have to rush your shot process a little bit or, or you're not to a level where you can, you know, speed up and slow down your shot process with a, with a thumb button, which let's face it, most people are not, um, generally the result is a lot worse on target. Um, with a hinge, 
I love shooting a hinge for target. I don't know how people shoot them for hunting. <laughs> it just, that's the least, if you force that, that is the least forgiving shot in archery. It's the cleanest, best shot when done correctly. Um, <laughs> but man, if you, if you just roll through a hinge and command it, it's a big miss usually. And um, so for me, especially with adrenaline going and everything, uh, I shoot a hinge a lot in, in target. I, I'm not comfortable hunting with one. Um, I know there's a lot of people that do and seem to do just fine with it. I mean, my buddy Wyatt Seabright, that guy is an absolute killer. Uh, I think he's shot his last like five animals with a hinge and he, he said he really, really likes it. Um, for me, I just, I know myself and I know in that scenario, like I, I would just feel more confident having a little more control over <laughs> what happens, you know? Um, I think the biggest downside to a lot of the thumb releases, there's no, no way to connect them to a wrist strap. And like the first year I hunted with mine, because I've hunted with one the last three seasons now and the first year, Oh my God. All it was just like a panic. Every time I was like, Oh, where's my release? You know, it'd be a, <laughs> yeah. a different pocket than it was before the other side of my bino harness or, you know, you sit down for lunch and you set it next to you and a bull bugles and you get up to go. And then you're like, Oh shoot, I don't have a release, which is why guys like, you know, Dan Staten, you know, he carries like, three releases with them at all times just <laughs> just in case that happens um now there's a lot of them that are coming out now with a wrist strap attached um and there's things you can do to kind of jerry rig one to uh a wrist strap but um i mean going back to what you're originally saying i there is certainly a, a large influx of uh of hunters you know moving to a handheld and i don't think it's all individually based. I don't think as a whole, that's a bad thing, but there may be guys that, you know, they're doing it because that's what they see Chris B do or Levi Morgan do. And it's like, well, you're not a pro shooter yet, but like maybe spend a little more time working with it before you just, you know, decide, Hey, this is, this is the best, you know, try, try different things and see what you're, you're more accurate in a, with, in a non, uh, perfectly controlled environment, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, whether you're, you hunt with one or not, I think is a very personal decision. I do feel at least just, and this is, again, very based on my experience, I feel almost everyone should at least shoot one at some point, like for a period of time. I mean, I shot just an index for years, and it wasn't till I started shooting with a handheld, um, both a hinge and a thumb, that I was like, when I felt the quote-unquote surprise shot which again i get where you're coming from on that term but that's what everybody says i never felt proper shot execution until i you know understood it from a handheld release perspective um and then it it helped me go oh this is what it's supposed to feel like and now i can take that and train with it and ingrain myself with that and translate it better to an index but also as you said like you can force it with an index and i fully agree it's been my experience with you when you try and force it even with the thumb button because i do prefer to run mine heavy it it goes bad when it goes bad yeah i agree with you i think everybody should learn how to shoot a hinge at some point because learning how to shoot a hinge correctly makes every release better uh-huh. yep <laughs> uh, when you learn that you know kind of that push pull and i mean everybody's got a little different method on how they like to you know operate that but it gives you the like you said it gives you that feeling of this is what it's supposed to feel like when when the shot truly just breaks on its own um and learning how to control that process like i know joel turner talks a lot about that that's his his whole 
thing is predicated on, you know, controlling every process from start to finish on that, whether it's a, a button or a, you know, index or a, a, a hinge. Um, and that's the biggest thing is, you know, being able to fight off that little voice in your head. That's like, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it. And just being able to stick with the process, you know? So you talked earlier about kind of accuracy, your channel's called inside out precision. That word precision is in there. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the, the average hunter who wants to, whether it's extend his range or just for his own confidence, like shrink his groups, even at a closer range. We're, and you kind of hinted at this, like a lot of times it's not necessarily the gear. It is form. It is shot execution, et cetera. For a guy who maybe doesn't have a great pro shop to check a setup or a guy who, you know, can't get to a coach or what have you, like, I guess mm-hmm. the guy who wants to get better, but not just chase gear, what would you recommend he, what can he do if he doesn't, again, like have a great pro shop or a coach or what have you? Right. Um, so one thing that with, with YouTube these days, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of channels out there that might mess you up more than make you better. But, um, I think you look at, you know, channels like John Dudley, um, Chris B doesn't do a lot of stuff with like shooting form. He's mostly gear related. Um, but finding somebody who has a proven track record of, you know, making people more successful. Um, and I understand, like you said, without access to a coach, you're going to be kind of doing stuff on your own online. Um, but the fundamentals of the shot. So, I mean, grip anchor point and release execution. If you can get those three things down consistently, even if, you know, even if your draw length might not be absolutely perfect or what, you know, someone could, would consider perfect. If you can get those things down consistently, you're going to have pretty good results. Um, I would say if you're in an area where, you know, there's, there's some 3d shoots, um, you know, if they hold like a, you know, like a state 3d or a state indoor tournament, I mean, every state's going to have one. Um, what I used to do as a little, when I was a kid, you know, I'd go to like Reading these national tournaments and I would, I would go out to the practice range and I would just watch these pros shoot. In fact, I would, I didn't have cell phone cameras back then, but I'd take my little digital camera and I would, I remember this so clearly. I took a picture of Jesse Broadwater at full draw. And then I, I literally printed that out and put it on my mirror in my room and would just draw my bow back and try to make myself look like he did at full draw and go, huh, I can't get my arm out that far. I think I need a little bit longer draw length. Um, and that might be going to the extreme, but if you can find, you know, find someone on the range, it's pretty easy to watch and tell who kind of the top dogs are when they're out there shooting. Um, what I found in the sport is everybody is very, very willing to help. Like pros don't have this, you know, like God complex where, you know, it's not like basketball or pro basketball players. They don't want to be bothered with, you know, anybody like they just want to do their thing. The pros are out there shooting with all the amateurs. Um, and usually if you ask them to watch a shoot a couple times, they can give you great tips. Um, and I don't, I don't mean this has to be like, you know, top tier level pro, but every state, every shop is going to usually have a couple shop shooters that are, are really good shooters. They may not be winning Vegas every year, but I mean, they, they know what they're doing with a bow. Um, so just asking for advice there. Um, like I said, YouTube is such a valuable resource. You just want to make sure, read the comment section, make sure that people are actually, you know, getting something out of it. Um, I don't ever name names, but I've definitely, there's a couple channels where, 
you know, I watch it. I'm like, huh, I wonder if people are actually doing this and having success. And I read through the comment section and it's, they're not like bashing, but they're like, Hmm. So I've been trying this and I, I, I'm actually getting worse. Like, and it's like, yeah, (laughs) that's not really going to work. No, that's not to say that, you know, like a lot of times when I'm coaching somebody and they've got, um, especially target panic stuff, you know, we start going through the process. I, I tell them, I'm like, Hey, things might get worse before they get better. But in the long run, this is going to, you know, this is going to benefit you. Um, and then I think just understanding that nothing in this sport happens overnight. Like there's not that magical fix that just, it's all muscle memory and repetition. Right. So, um, there is no, just at least in my opinion, I still have yet to find something that's just that like magical, like bing light bulb goes off and all of a sudden you're shooting, you know, two inch groups at 60 yards. It's like a lot of these things, they take time to learn. They take time to, for your, you know, your body to commit it to muscle memory and the subconscious and all that. Um, and so if you are fortunate enough to find somebody who's telling you to work on a certain aspect, don't, don't do it for, you know, 10 arrows and just think you're, you're good. All of a sudden it's like, just understand it's going to take a little bit of time, um, to really get driven home, you know? Yeah, that's good stuff. It is even again, thinking through when I first started shooting, like if I was starting now between just the number of resources that are out there, like you said, YouTube channels from well-respected people and what have you, but even just, (laughs) this goes back to what you said about Broadwater, the fact that I could shoot right now and not only take pictures, but like have slow-mo video to really see my shot execution and what I'm doing with my grip. And if my anchor points moving or anything like that, like that alone is just a huge resource that I didn't have when I started shooting. That would be so helpful right now. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's incredible. I mean, iPhone cameras are ridiculous. Um, and it's, I mean, I, I will still do that sometimes where, I don't know if I've had a little break from shooting. It's like, man, something's just not feeling right. Or, you know, it's like, yeah, take a picture. It's like, oh yeah, my back elbow is a little higher than I usually have it or, or whatever that is. Um, so yeah, if, I mean, that's actually a really good tip too. You know, if you've got somebody like you, when you're watching these guys, you kind of know what, what it's supposed to look like. And so then if you, if you have a wife or a girlfriend or a brother or whoever, or a tripod, <laughs> you know, film yourself shooting and it's, it can be pretty easy to tell. Um, you know, okay, my front shoulder is way higher than theirs, or my, you know, I'm death gripping the release or the front handle or something like that. Um, because a lot of times you think you're doing something right, and then you actually see yourself do it, and you're like, wow, I, I'm not doing it right. It's kind of like people who think they're great at dancing you know, watch themselves. <laughs> dance. Oh, god, <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's that's a very good, good tip. Bouncing back to gear, you had uh, when you're talking about the importance of a rest and the system and, you know, had some pretty strong feelings on like, hey, Hamsky's generally very good. And that's not to say everything else is trash by any means, but um, hey, Hamsky's very good. It, would you do you have kind of like whether it's one or like, hey, here's kind of like a top two or three recommendations on any other category? Because it is overwhelming. Like you said earlier, there's so many arrows, so many releases, so many sites, etc. Um again, from you being wanting to be one more independent, but two with your history, not only as a shooter, but just seeing so many setups and working in shops and all that stuff. I'm just like, would love your perspective on some of the other brands or products or stuff that you just tend to really see a lot of good luck with. 
Yeah. So kind of going through the accessories on a bow. So like starting with the rest, you know, I think, uh, ham ski would be, would be my top. They, and they've got a wide range of price points there. They're all extremely functional bulletproof rests. Um, for, and this, so this is limb driven. Um, after that, I think AAE makes a pretty good rest. Um, vapor trail is, it seems like maybe we just got a bad run of them for, for a little while during COVID there. Um, we had a couple little issues, but they've, they've seemed to be pretty solid over the years uh, on the cable driven side of things. You know, I will say QAD is still probably top dog there. Um, cable driven rest in general, just, they don't support the arrow as long. Um, so from a technician standpoint, when I'm tuning a bow, I have to make more dramatic adjustments to the bow to achieve the same difference in tune because the rest does not influence the arrow as long. Um, so, you know, if I'm moving the rest, I have to move the rest further. So let's say, you know, it's trees of numbers. I've, I've got a half inch tear. I have to move the rest further right or left on a cable driven than i do on a limb driven because it does not support and influence the arrow as long um but you know those are all good brands sites are a huge one i mean there's so many different sites on the market um i think in terms of just durability spot hog takes the cake i mean you can practically tow your boat with that thing if you needed to um the, they're extremely well made you know they're great customer service they they are a little heavier with that that extra durability, you know, it doesn't come for free. There is going to be a little bit of weight there. Uh, Black gold is a very, very close second, in my opinion. They got a, they got a great pin. They've got all the adjustments that you want in terms of, you know, the axes and the, and they've got so many different, you know, head and base combinations that you can make and make it single pin, two pin, three pin, five pin, whatever you want to make it. Um, they're a phenomenal site. Um, you know, Excel, uh, they, they're hard to get. Um, I shoot the landslide. I love it because it's, it's really, really light. Um, they've been a target site company for ages. I mean, they're hands down the most popular target site you see. Uh, and so they kind of took that same precision minded, uh, approach to the hunting sites that they make. So just, you know, really, really good machining on them, you know, really solid micro adjustable clicks, no slopping, anything like that. Um, they are like, I, I'm a little more cautious with my bow. Like I'm a little more, you know, aware of where I'm setting it and <laughs> I'm not just tossing it down when I'm, you know, about to sit down for lunch or something. Um, because with it being lighter, there are, there's more potential for it to, you know, come out of axis or out of whack a little bit if it gets, gets hit hard enough. Um, those are, you know, option sites are really nice too. Dan Evans, he makes a, a great site. Um, any of the big reputable brands, really, uh, it's hard to go wrong with. Um, they all have lifetime warranties. I haven't seen, I haven't seen one where, you know, they're charging an arm and a leg for it and it's just an absolute piece of garbage. Um, <clears throat> so those are some great brands and then arrows. Oh my God, you can go on for days, but <laughs> victory, black Eagle, Eaton, they're all phenomenal shafts. Um, I will say I like the component system. If you're going to use the components that come with the arrows, that's one area that Easton kind of lacks, um, you know, especially in like their four millimeter shafts. Um, but you can also retrofit different, you know, insert outsert systems from other arrows onto them. Um, they're all, you know, their high end shafts are all phenomenal arrows. Um, if you're doing it from home, like building your own stuff, one thing that's nice is that Victory does, um, they spine align all their arrows. 
Now, how accurate exactly that label is to the spine, um, I guess that's kind of up for debate. I will say at the ATA show, you know, they were showing us on the little RAM tester there. Most of them were within, were within about an eighth of an inch of where the true spine actually was. So it's at least a really good starting point for you. Um, but gosh, they're all really good shafts. Um, one thing I think a lot of people don't understand is like Victory owns... Well, Victory is owned by Mitsubishi, and Mitsubishi is also like the largest, one of the largest carbon suppliers in the the world. Um, so a lot of those brands buy their carbon from Victory. Uh, obviously, being owned by Mitsubishi, you know, Mitsubishi makes Formula One race car frames, they make golf club shafts, fishing rods, fly rods, all sorts of stuff. So their their knowledge of the dynamic dynamics of carbon is is really good. Um, you know, you can imagine the the difference in money spent on the flex or at least, you know, the, the testing of the flex of golf club shafts versus aero shafts, it's probably, you know, a hundred fold. So they have a set of data points that they can refer to um, with some of the other things they make that, that I think aid them in building a really, really tough and quality aero shaft. Um, but I won't say, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I shoot, you know, a, a victory rip TKO any better than I shoot like an Easton axis. Um, they're both great arrows. Um, I would be a little bit wary of some of these companies where they're just like, Hey, send us your specs and we'll just build you an arrow. Um, you know, a lot of those guys are getting, <clears throat> getting shafts from companies that didn't quite make the quality cut um, or whether it be, you know, black Eagle or victory or Sirius or whatever. Um, a lot of them are kind of taking the discarded shafts and then, using those in their in their build um but man lots of good stuff out there it, it really does come down to um kind of personal preference and then just just shooting it what are you personally hunting with uh so this year i'm running uh the matthews uh the phase 433 i shot the v3x last year and loved it in the phase four it's just it's that bow just a little bit quieter um um for me it's just it's just comfortable it aims like a rock you know i'm just i'm really confident with it uh, I run a Excel landslide site. Um, I run a three pin slider. So I usually, when I'm hunting, I've usually got those pins set at 25, 40, 50. Pretty much lets me cover everything from 20 to 50 without having to move my site if I don't have the time. Um, what else I got? I got the Hamski Epsilon, which is their integrated rest. Um, so it sits right behind the riser, which allows me to suck up my quiver just, I mean, right under the limb, which just helps with. You know, obviously throw your arrows on there. It's going to change the balance a little bit, but it's not as drastic as when your quiver is sitting out there three or four inches. Uh, and then I, I don't run their um, Matthews integrated stabilizers. I run the Conquest Archery. Um, that's actually the same company. Well, they're owned by Black Eagle. Um, honestly, a stabilizer is a stabilizer at the end of the day, as long as it's a lightweight piece of carbon with some weight at the end. In, in the short bars, they're all going to hold the same. You know, I, I love that you said that. Like that was always my like. People get so hung up on stabilizers, like yeah, it's just it's a piece of carbon with a weight on the end of it. Like yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, when you get into the target bars, like you know, a thirty plus inch bar, especially with how much weight guys are running on these days, then it, sometimes it can make sense to spring for that you know really high modulus, like incredibly stiff carbon, just so that the end of that bar settles down quicker. But when you got a ten inch piece of carbon. I mean, that thing is stiff no matter what you do. <laughs> There's like, you mm -hmm. can't always get that thing to flex. So, um, yeah, it's, it comes down to, you know, some have a little more dampening qualities than other, but most bows are so freaking smooth now that, you, you know, you just don't see that big a difference from the stabilizer. So, 
Um, I run a 10 inch, 10 inch front bar, uh, eight inch, oh, excuse me, six inch back bar, uh, which ends up being more like eight, which that's kind of something newer. Last year was the first year I hunted with that. Um, you know, I just shoot with one year round and I was just like, I'm just going to give it a try. And honestly, at first I was kind of regretting it. Like we were in Wyoming last year and I was just, you know, you get very spatially aware of your equipment and then you throw this thing that sticks out five or six inches on the side of your bow. And I was just constantly like doinking it on logs or like, you know, my release would slap it or something like that. So once I kind of figured out how I needed to carry my bow <laughs> to not sound like an idiot moving through the woods, uh, it was fine. But, um, you know, that's, Again, that's all personal preference. I know a lot of guys that do and don't shoot a back bar. So, how about uh, arrow broadhead combo? Uh, so right now I'm running the. So last year well, I shot Easton forever. Um, I changed it up last year. I, I shot those Black Eagle X impacts, and then when I got up to uh, G4, which is where I'm working now up here, um, I we had never carried Victory at the bow rack, um, and I'd heard a lot of good things, so I decided to give him a try. So far, they've been great. So I shoot the, it's the RIP TKO. So it's a five millimeter shaft. Um, I run a 75 grain, like insert, and then just a hundred grain head. So for my specs, cause I got a pretty long draw length and that puts me in that, like about like 14% FOC, the arrows, 475 grain, 472 grains. Um, it's just a really good combination. It seems like of, you know, speed, but still, still enough, enough knockdown power with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've run a QAD Exodus forever. Um, and for broadheads, I, I've had great, great luck on the animals I've shot with them. Um, I also, so last year I shot those Grim Reapers, the pro threes. So it's the only mechanical I've ever shot. Um, I've seen so many horror stories with mechanicals over the years, at least on elk. Um, but Wayne down at the bow rack, he's been shooting them for the last, gosh i don't even know probably four years now ever since they became legal in oregon i um, mean he shot them at everything i mean elk deer bear i mean you name it um and he's had incredible luck with them so i did give him a go last year i had great luck with him i, I killed three deer with them um now i didn't have any questionable shots with them but it was crazy i mean it's like the the holes that those things put through the, just the body language of the animal after they're hit is totally different than with any fixed blade I've shot. It's like, they just like hunch up, you know, kind of stumble 15, 20 yards, stand over, stand around and just fall over dead. Like there's just the amount of devastation those things do going through something is pretty impressive. Um, so I don't know. I've got a couple in my quiver. We'll see if I shoot one at a bull or not. <laughs> you said which model of Grim Reaper was that? Uh, that was the the Pro Three mechanical. Okay. Gotcha. They're just different in the way that they their blade retention system and everything. You know, every other mechanical relies on essentially the blades hitting the hide to open them. So there's a pretty big loss in the transfer of energy there. Um, the prisoners a little the the blades clip in with like there's a spring in the ferrule and the blades clip in. Um, so there's no rubber band or O-ring or anything that's going to, you know, cut loose in your quiver. Uh, and then the tip, if you look at the tip, they extend like a half point pat or half inch past where the, the blades stop. And so when that tip strikes that brick, that, bl- uh, sorry, that spring compresses up against the, the ferrule of the, the broadhead and deploys the blades. So by the time the blades get mm. to the high, they're actually fully deployed. So there's, there's not nearly as much of a loss in transfer of energy. Um, and they, they're just, yeah, they're really tough. Like Wayne shot one through a propane can two or three times before it lost the blade, which for a mechanical is crazy. Um, 
So yeah, they seem to be pretty awesome. Um, I know he, cause we weren't able to shoot them until 2019 in Oregon. Um, and so when they were becoming, you know, when, when it was coming down the pipe that they were going to be legalized, he spent a lot of time on the phone talking to everybody he knows around the country, you know, lots of guys in Texas where they're, you know, they're shooting 60, 70 animals a year off these ranches. Um, mm-hmm. They have tried and or had clients try every broadhead under the sun. And that, that name kept coming up like Grim Reaper, Grim Reaper. It's the only one we'll allow him to shoot. Um, so that's what we ended up going with. And so far the results have been pretty awesome. So. Well, I know this has uh, been all over the place, <laughs> which I fully anticipated and is honestly what I wanted. And so I do appreciate the time and perspective before we let you go. Just want to make sure that guys can get in touch with you or check out your videos or know where you're at in terms of the new shop and all that stuff. So give us the rundown. Yeah. So, um, if you have any like bow work or anything needed done, um, you can call, <clears throat> call me at G4 archery. Uh, it's in North Plains, Oregon. Uh, we work on equipment all the time that guys send in, <clears throat> um, in terms of my, my personal page, uh, it's called inside out precision and that's our YouTube channel. Uh, Instagram is inside underscore out underscore precision. And yeah, we try to post, try to do at least one video per week. Um, with the move up here lately, that hasn't been quite as consistent, but now that we're, you know, we've got the house, we're settled in, uh, I got a little more, a little more free time to start focusing on the videos again, uh, but there's a ton of videos on there. There's, I think there's over 200 already. So you got a, got a long time in front of the computer before you're going to get through them all. <laughs> so <laughs> Nice man. Well, dude, really appreciate the time. Thank you. Yeah. It was great chatting with you guys. Good luck this season. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Kellen, thanks for the time. Listeners, as you heard, go check out Kellen's YouTube channel. Uh, There's a link in the show description for that, or maybe even give him a call at G4 Outdoors if you want some help and assistance from him on any bow tuning or bow work. As always, guys, thank you for tuning in. If you have any feedback, questions, comments, suggestions, anything like that for us, just send an email to podcast at exomountgear.com. And finally, if you haven't already, hit subscribe or follow in your podcast app so that you receive future episodes automatically, and we'll talk to you soon.